Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to Yes UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games of all time. Thanks for coming back. I'm really excited to bring you the second episode. Today, we're going to dive into one of the most important games in UConn history, the 1999 National Championship game. Uh, this is the one where UConn finally gets over the hump and beats heavily favored Duke to win the program's first national title. And uh, joining, me, uh, joining me today is a good friend of mine. He's a, a, my uh, UConn college roommate and uh, one of the biggest UConn basketball fans I know, Jesse DeBoer. Jesse, how's it going? Hey, Max. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Looking forward to talking about 77-74 uh, day that we uh, deem this day, this game uh, here in Connecticut, and hoping, as Matt said in episode yesterday, that everyone's doing well uh, with everything going on. So best of wishes and hope everyone's healthy. Yeah, it was so. Yeah, obviously. So for those of you who you know may catch this later on, it's a Wednesday, March eighteenth. We're in about. Uh, it's been about a week since the quarantine began, uh, the big coronavirus uh, outbreak. Uh, college basketball has been canceled for the season, uh, which which stinks. Uh, we are uh, the, uh, tomorrow should have been the the big first day of the tournament. But unfortunately, that is not, you know, going to be a thing this year. So we're going to do our best to make do, and we're going to make do by looking back at some great games. So, Jesse, I wanted to talk to you about this game uh, particularly because you, uh, I mean, you told me uh, before we started recording, you've seen this game probably over 50 times, and uh, you uh, obviously are a lifelong UConn Huskies fan. And uh, a little embarrassed to say, I'm not. I didn't come to the UConn family until I was a little bit older, um, not until I was a, a freshman uh, at UConn in 2008-2009. And uh, before that, I, you know, this game kind of came and went, and it didn't really mean anything to me. It was, I was probably just like, okay, you know, how'd my bracket do, whatever. But for you, I mean, this was like the biggest thing ever. I mean, like you told me, like pretty much for everyone in Connecticut, it was just this monster deal. So tell me about it. Uh, t- what was it like to watch this game as a you know as a young fan and just have this experience to see it you know back at when it first happened? Yeah. So going back uh, at the time of the game, I was nine years old. But throughout the state of Connecticut, uh, you could just feel how much this game impacted the entire state and just fans, alumni. It was all they talked about leading up to the game. And going back, you know generations of UConn fans, you'd hear the stories of how they'd get so close. You know, you go back to 1990 when they lost to Duke, you know, Christian Leitner hits the buzzer beater in the lead eight to send them to the Final Four, and then the next year they lose to Duke again in the Sweet 16, and then they have the great teams from 1994 to 1996. Uh, Just all the heartbreak, uh, one of the big ones in 1994, losing the floor in overtime in the Sweet 16. In 1995, they lose to UCLA, who ends up going on to win the national championship. And then 96, right after Ray Allen hits the buzzer beater, or the game-winning shot against Georgetown, the Big East tournament, uh, they end up losing to Mississippi State in the Sweet 16. And then even this group, and this is my first memory of uh, college basketball in the tournament in 1998, you know, Rip Hamilton hitting the buzzer beater against Washington to send them to the Elite Eight, and then they run into um, the UNC team with uh, Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson, and you're just, you always are so close, um, and just come up short so many times, and I almost compare it to, and it's, it pains me to compare, make this comparison, but it almost compares to, you know, New England fans, Red Sox fans, who, you know, hear from generations on of 
just heartbreak and getting so close and never getting over the hump. And then leading into this game, uh, everyone talks about it's Duke's you know, tournament, uh, it's their year. Um, and in the moment, you know, it's tipping off and you're like, you know, we're finally here in this moment playing against Duke. They, they have so many great players, um, but you're just kind of in disbelief that, you know, we finally are close to the pinnacle. Yeah, no, I'm glad you made the Red Sox comparison. So Jesse, Jesse is also like the world's biggest Yankees fan. Uh, I grew up in Massachusetts, so the uh, 2004 Red Sox is definitely a relatable comparison because that's kind of how it was for us in Boston at that point. Obviously, you know, it's things have changed for, for both fan bases now. For UConn, you know, at this point, you know, four national championships is kind of speaks for itself. But at this point, you know, UConn, there was a point in the broadcast where Jim Nance said something to the effect of that when uh, Jim Calhoun took the UConn job, the idea of making the Final Four was like, okay, well, when's the elephant going to jump over the moon? You know, it was just inconceivable. And But this point, it's, uh, I mean, Jesse, what would you say, like 10 years, 11 years of UConn being a pretty solid contender at this point? But, like, yeah, like you said, they just hadn't quite gotten over the hump. Yeah, I mean, they had so many great players, right? They had Chris Smith, and I you know broadcast during the game, they talk about how that was their most important recruit. And, you know, before him, they would tell the recruits, you know, this is who you can play against. And it really turned the tide of, you know, this is who you can play with. And, you know, you had Chris Smith, you had Danielle Marshall, you had Ray Allen, Kevin Ollie, Travis Knight, with so many great UConn players, and they had so many great teams. I think Calhoun said that the 1994 team was the best team that he ever had, and they just got so close so many times with just so much heartbreak. Um, then to finally have this team step in into this moment, um, and against, you know, your, your biggest rival, the team that stopped you so many times in the past, uh, to mention the 1999, yeah, I wish I had a better better story, but as a as a nine year old, I was just watching it uh, in my living room with my parents. Uh, you know, it was all leading up to that game. It was, it was all that anyone was talking about. And I remember back at that time, my third grade teacher, um, her son was actually a student manager of the basketball team, and it was all we talked about in class. It was you know everyone was just anticipating this. You know, Final Four in this game. Uh, they, I remember right before it, the game, they had a two-hour pregame on the local uh, Connecticut channel where they're just interviewing uh, people like Gamble, fans around the state. They had Tate George and Joe Tessitore, who is now on uh, Monday Night Football. They were down in Tampa interviewing fans down there. Uh, it was just uh, and everything and anything that uh, people were thinking about at that time. Man, that's that's so cool, and I, I can only imagine what like what were you fourth grade, fifth grade at the time, something like that. Yeah, so third grade. Um, yeah, so it was really my first full season of UConn basketball. Uh, the year prior, um, had some glimpses here and there, some memories. Uh, obviously, remember the Rick Hamilton shot, and then the the loss to UNC. But this was my first real full season of really knowing what was going on um, throughout the entire season, and then have it. Uh, come to this 
this end with you know your greatest rival, the team that stood in the way. Uh, it's just it was just the ultimate moment and kind of disbelief as they tipped off that this was really happening. Man, yeah. So let's kind of walk down the list of kind of like what the stakes really were. So this game, so obviously Duke was considered a heavy, heavy favorite. Uh, they came in uh, 37 and one, and they hadn't lost a game since November. Um, they had won their previous five uh, tournament games by 25.2 points per game. And, you know, this is, you know, we Duke, obviously, you know, they're a blue blood of all blue bloods, but they're only going for their third championship here. So it's not like they're, you know, US, UCLA or Kentucky at this point. Like, they're, they still have something to prove. And this is like, you know, as far as they're concerned, the best team ever. So, you know, that's kind of what UConn is going up against. And, uh, but UConn, what, they weren't slouches either. I mean, they came in as a one seed themselves. They were 33-2. and two. Um, They... You know, it's obviously, as we discussed, like they're they're still trying to break through. They they've you know really trying to, you know, finally get over the hump after kind of getting so close. Uh, the the group of seniors and and actually really the juniors too. They they had just kind of been working towards this for so long. You have the the seniors had won the Big East in 1996. The 97 team was a little bit a little bit rough, but they you know still fought back and they got third in the NIT. And then you know the 98 is when they won the Big East, reached the Elite Eight. You know, just was, this team was ready. And that game, like going in the Tropicana, I guess it's it's so weird to think Tropicana Field. The game was played at Tropicana Field, one of the worst event, like venues in the country, and yet that's kind of just the way it played out. You have this one of the all time great college basketball games, and it was a great game. Like I mean, you watched it just uh, just the other kind of just just now. Like wasn't it like a really good basketball game? Like just beyond just the memory of like oh wow, like they won. I think it's just such an underrated game outside of, you know, UConn fans and just the national attention that it got. It was an epic game, back-and-forth game. Uh, I think the greatest lead that Duke had was the early 9-2 lead that they um, started off with. And then at UConn, I think their biggest lead was at some point in the second half, it was six points. There were so many lead changes. It was back-and-forth. The tempo of the game was tremendous. Um, it was just an overall really awesome basketball game. And kind of to your point, uh, having it in Tropicana was just such a. It was a little bit of an odd feeling. I think I read that it's the only um, Final Four arena that is actually a baseball specific stadium. So you know, it's just a very interesting choice. But uh, like I said, it was just a tremendous game back and forth the entire way, uh, and just some historical context too with the matchup um, that is pretty significant. So I looked up and only only four other times or three other times in college basketball history where uh, the teams that were ranked one and two in the AP poll in the preseason actually ended up meeting for the national championship, this being the third time. And then it happened again with Duke, uh, Arizona, 2001. And then also this was the fewest combined losses uh, between two teams meeting in national championship games since 1970. So just some like historical significance on how um, important this game actually was. Yeah, that's funny. So just before we get too far off it, you mentioned just how many lead changes and ties there were. So when I was rewatching it, I added it up. It was 14 ties and 10 lead changes. Like, so it was it was just a neck and neck game. And yeah, it's like you said, I think uh, Duke had their big lead. I mean, it wasn't even that big a lead early. And then, yeah, you UConn kind of pulled ahead kind of at the very end. But otherwise, it was just back and forth, back and forth. Duke, Duke had the lead for most of the game, but it was never like... a comfortable lead really and then UConn wound up 
I guess when they did take the lead, they kind of more or less held it most of the rest of the way. It was, um, yeah, you know, it's funny too that you mentioned that, you know, the fewest combined losses, because if you heard the, the narrative going in was not, did not suggest two heavyweights. It was very much, you know, a David versus Goliath type of thing, which kind of, you know, me as a kind of exclusively from hindsight, I don't really get it. Like UConn, this was a great UConn team. I don't get why they didn't get more respect. I mean, I don't know. Do you remember? Going into it, it was all Duke. They talked about this is Duke's tournament. It's Duke's invitational, essentially. I know that UConn was like a nine and a half point favorite or underdog going into the game. Um, and they ended up being the biggest underdog to ever win um, the national championship. Uh, and, I mean, Duke had a lot of great players. They had four players in that draft uh, coming up in the summer in 1999 uh, that went um, in the top 14 picks. They had Elton Brand, who was the player of the year um, in ACC in the country, Trajan Langdon, who I think was three-time All-ACC, um, William Avery, Corey McGetty, who had a fairly decent NBA career. So they had a lot of decent players, but it was a lot of individual talent. I think where UConn ended up separating themselves from Duke is they had so much more depth, and they just had, at each position, they just had the right um, influx of talent. And they were able to match Duke in such a such a nice way where they could combat, um, you know, Duke's strengths with, uh, with their own strengths. Uh, they were able to run on Duke. They were able to, early in the game, they were doubling down on Elton Brand and really took him away. Uh, and going back into the box where you kind of had nine different players that ended up scoring and seven of those players averaged more or played more than 10 minutes where Duke only really had, six significant players so i think they're really able to wear them down as the game went on yeah yeah so i mean it's it's funny when we were watching like elton brand you know had this you know the reputation he was the i believe the national player of the year that year and um you know the the yukon bigs by and large did a pretty good job of defending him i think he finished with uh 15 points and i want to say 11 rebounds um in fact let me actually pull that up because I got it right here. Uh, 13 rebounds. Yeah, so, I mean, he got his numbers, but, like, he they, they kept him in check. Uh, Voskel, uh, Wayne, uh, you know, they all, you know, uh, they, they did, Freeman, Kevin Freeman was awesome in this game on the boards. I mean, they, they just did uh, such a good job of kind of keeping their stars under control. And, um, yeah, just, like, watching it play out, there was a point where Duke was hitting a lot of shots, but in the second half, UConn's defense really got awesome. And, um they're, yeah, they just kind of wore. They seemed like they wore them out almost because just like so many of those big shots that Duke was used to hitting just weren't falling. And um, I mean that's just a testament to uh, you know UConn's relentlessness, their experience, and Calhoun especially just his coaching. Like he he put pulled all the right strings and knew what to do. Um, yeah, I mean. Just, uh, it was, a, it was, a, I wasn't expecting the game to be that good. Cause a lot of times when you, you know, these really legendary games, a lot of times they're remembered more for moments and this one, it had the moments, but it was ultimately just an outstanding game. Yeah. I think there were just so many great moments. If you ask someone, you know, what is the moment that really stands out from this game? There's just so, so many, you can go. You know, in the very beginning of the game, you know, you come down early and you're thinking, oh, here we go again. Uh, hopefully they can keep it close. Uh, and Freeman has a few blocks, sets the tone defensively. Uh, and then there's a the play, um, which I think stands out uh, above a lot of the other plays throughout the game. Uh, there's a loose ball. 
the defensive end, kind of scramble on the floor. Uh, LME gets down on the floor, comes up with a loose ball, gets it head to, to Rip. Rip kind of goes down, uh, has a little fadeaway on the baseline. And that's where you kind of felt like, hey, we can kind of, we can hang with these guys. You know, they have a lot of talent, but we can hang with these guys. We, we're playing with a lot of energy. Um, you know, we'll see how we can uh, end up here. Yeah, it's funny. Elamine didn't actually play that much in this game because he had some foul trouble. But that play you're talking about, it's the one where he like dove and like basically swam to get the ball and then dished it up before he got called for like traveling or something, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, it, there was a loose ball. I, I forget who shot it, but a little bit of scramble. I think Brandon tried to get the rebound, kind of got it stripped from him. Elamine dies on the floor just before he's about to travel. Like you said, he. Passes it up ahead to Rip. Um, Rip, I mean, he had just a consistent overall game. Uh, in, I think there were a lot of different moments where people stepped up throughout this game. Uh, you know, like go to Ricky Moore, who was incredible offensively, and he wasn't known as an offensive player in that season. I think he averaged only like six points, and during that first half in the first, I want to say, 10, 12 minutes of that game, he had 13 points, and he was just on fire. Stepped up when they really needed uh some offense, um, but yeah, I, there were so many moments, and like you said, LME didn't play too much, he was in foul trouble um, early, I think about a 10-minute mark, he had two fouls, so I had to sit the majority of the first half, didn't score too much, but he did score when they needed the most in the second half, you know, going down the stretch, getting big buckets, um, obviously at the very end of the game, he steps up, they hit the two, two free throws at the end to put them up three. Yeah, man. I mean, that I mean, that guy was as uh, there there's a big time player for you. I mean, you want to talk about guys who made uh, winning plays when it counted. I mean, he was kind of the he was the one. So, uh, Jesse, let's kind of just uh, run through the game real quick just for those who haven't actually had a chance to see it recently. Um, so, like we said, uh, game starts um, and, uh, you know, Duke jumps out to a bit of an early lead. They start off, uh, they go ahead 9-2 to two over the first uh, three or four minutes of the game. And, you know, if you're watching at home, I, you, I can only imagine you're like, oh, boy, here we go because – you know, Duke doesn't need to go on a much more of a run than that. And if UConn can't can't score, you're looking at a pretty nasty de- deficit right off the bat. And, you know, people don't come back on Duke like that very often. Um, but, yeah, no, Ricky Moore kind of keys this run. You know, UConn winds up pulling within a couple points. And, um, you know, they. I think um, actually one more quick note I just remembered. Ricky Moore and uh, Will Avery were uh, teammates, I believe, in high school, right? They, like, grew up in the same place in Georgia. Yeah, they uh... – they grew up in Augusta, Georgia, so I know that Jim Nance's kind of monologue leading up to the game was talking about how they lived on the same street, and uh, how Ricky Moore was always the teacher, and uh, William Avery was the pupil. You know, Ricky Moore obviously was a senior at that time, and William Avery was a sophomore. But yeah, it was just an interesting, uh, you know, coincidence that they ended up playing to the national championship and what ended up being the most important game of their lives. Jeez, yeah, I, I would, I would love to. That would be a great podcast in and of itself. Just kind of get the two of them in the room together and be like, "Hey, let's talk about this." Um, but yeah, so anyway, so Ricky Moore, he has kind of leads this big run. Kind of the, you kind of knew it was really he was really cooking when he gets a, a basket to give UConn the lead. Kevin Freeman has a block, and then uh, Ricky has a three. So he's got nine points at this point. He would eventually finish with thirteen. UConn's got a fifteen to thirteen lead, and 
and uh, now you're kind of cooking at that point. Uh, you know, so Trajan Langdon. So here's a guy who, you know, when you think of like the great Duke players, he didn't have like that much of an NBA career. So he's not like Shane Battier, for instance, is a guy you see this game. You're like, oh, wow. Hey, look, there's Shane Battier. And he looks exactly the same as he did playing for the Miami Heat when he won those titles, <laughs> <laughs> which is that was a little disconcerting. That dude like didn't age and like hasn't aged at all. He like looked not old to begin with. Yeah, I mean, Shane Batty, he had a fairly decent NBA career. They had a few guys that, you know, Elton Brand went number one uh, in that draft. Uh, but overall, I, I think Rip Hamilton, out of all the players in this game, probably had the most illustrious career uh, in the NBA, winning an NBA championship. Uh, you know, he had, I think, three uh, all-star appearances. Brand had a Brand had a decent career, but kind of a journeyman. Um, and yeah, Langdon, I think, was only in the league for a handful of years. But during this game, he definitely had an impact. He was great. Uh, he was cooking early, too. See, he had a, a, a whole bunch of threes in the first half. He, he had a couple to kind of keep UConn's run in check. In fact, then uh, after UConn, I believe, they led 17-13. And then uh, Duke went on a 10-to-1 run. So they pull ahead 23-18. to and um, then, so here's a, a play that I, I stood out to me a lot. So Suleiman Wayne, he is uh, currently coaching high school basketball up in my neck of the woods. He's up at Haverhill High. Shout out to the Hillies, by the way. Um, and he, he had, I think, one of my favorite plays in this game when uh, uh, Saunders stripped Elton Brand. Wayne just goes up, gets the rebound, puts up a little sky hook and scores. And then there's a great shot of him running down the court just like, I don't know, jawing at somebody. I I was just like, oh my god, Su- Su- Suleiman is just cr- crushing it right here. <laughs> but like, yeah, that's one of my favorite plays of the game. And like you said, him, the shot that they had with him running back down the court and just like screaming, it's just one of the iconic, iconic moments from this game. Uh, you know, Saunders and, and Juan just double team around Brandon and Juan and that little baby hook right over him. It was just an amazing play. Can you settle this for me? How exactly is his name pronounced? Is it Wayne or Juan? So I know during the broadcast they uh, call him Solomon Juan. I believe I believe it is Juan. Okay. I should probably know that, but either way, sorry if Solomon, if you hear this, sorry about that. We'll uh, get that cleared up in the future. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, so from this point on, uh, U- UConn and Duke are pretty much just going back and forth for most of the rest of the way. Uh, it's, uh, you know, UConn's up 26 to 24 kind of to answer Duke's run. So they, they made a little bit of a run themselves. Um, you know, Duke, they start to get tired at a certain point down the down the stretch. Uh, Carowell blew a wide open fast break layup. So UConn keeps the lead there. Battier misses one right afterwards. But then right before the half, Langdon hits, completes a four point play. And um, ultimately, uh, Duke goes into the half up uh, by two, the 39 to 37. So, I mean, if you're a UConn fan right now, you got to be feeling pretty good, right? Because, you know, you have a, you're down, you know, seven early and, you know, like, oh, boy, like this could get away real quick. But then they got they got their act together and they played well. So do you remember like when was when eight or nine year old Jesse was watching this game? Do you remember what you were thinking at this point? At this point, um, just like you said, you know, you get down early and you're, you're thinking they're going to run away with it. At that point, you're just like, I just want them to keep it close. I just want this game to at least be, you know, something that, you know, down the stretch we're still in it. But I think for a majority of the rest of the half, UConn showed that they, from my perspective, they were a better team than Duke. They were, at times, really taking it right to Duke. They were limiting, you know, Duke's uh, strengths. Uh, 
they were running on Duke, they were forcing turnovers, just the overall pace of the game, I think, was not in Duke's favor, and it was really uh, in UConn's favor. And then one of the interesting stats right after, you know, they go into halftime is uh, during the season, UConn was 9-0 and when trailing at the half. So I, as a young UConn fan, you're looking at that and you're like, you know, there's no way we're going to lose in this game. But I already think that we're the better team after what I just watched. Um, you know, Duke had the lead for a decent portion of, of the half, but a majority of the, the play, I felt favored UConn. So I, I felt pretty good with our chances going into the second half. Yeah, I mean that that nine to nothing nine to no stat was crazy too. Like, who does that? <laughs> you know, that's that's not that's pretty pretty unusual to have a team that comes back every time. But there, I mean, there you go. I mean, that's just the kind of team UConn had that year. Um, so second half begins. Duke does retake the lead, or well, they 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 stretch the lead a little bit. They pull ahead uh, by uh, five kind of within the first couple minutes and it sort of stays like that for a little while longer and then there comes a point where you know UConn makes another bit of a push uh you know Suleiman hits another basket ties it up at 51 and then Rip just takes over he hits a couple couple jumpers uh you know in a row he had a, the great um he drew an offensive foul there was that great shot of him just on the ground slapping the floor I mean, he, he was, uh, it, it's funny too, like Ricky Moore had like the more obvious impact early, but Rip just like was just cooking and he, he just uh, really had a huge impact, especially in the kind of early in the second half. Yeah, he was so consistent. I mean, from the beginning to the end, he was the one who really helped carry the team. He had moments like Ricky Moore, like you mentioned, at the end, Bellamy hitting some big baskets down the stretch, Juan with a few big baskets as well, Freeman with some big blocks and rebounds and setting the overall physical intensity of the game. Uh, but Rip was just a constant offensive force throughout the game and during the stretch of the game that we're at now. He, they couldn't stop him. I think uh, Billy Packard on the call, you know, he says, Rip feels like there's no one on this court that can stop me right now. And I'm glad that you mentioned the, the shot of him uh, on the floor after he took an offensive foul. That's one of my favorite moments from this game as well. I think they cut... Um, on the under-eight timeout, they cut to that shot in slow motion where he's sticking his tongue out. He's slapping the floor. And then Jim Nance kind of perfectly says, you know, um, let's see, what did he say? He said, um, do they know something that someone else that no one else does? It's just the kind of perfect montage of that game where they're the only ones that believe in themselves. Only UConn fans really believe that they're able to going to be able to win this game. Uh, everyone was believing in Duke. Uh, so it's just kind of the perfect shot of the moment right there. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm getting things a little out of order. So that actually happened right after he hit a three. That that three put UConn up 62-57 with about 10 minutes left. And then for the next play, he, hit, he drew that foul. And that's sort of the moment. UConn's up five now. And, you know... That's a pretty good place to be there. So uh, Langdon misses a three. So Langdon has hit everything at this point, but he finally starts cooling off. And uh, Duke as a whole really can't buy a deep basket at this point. And, you know, that's kind of just a testament to UConn's defense and their intensity. Um, But anyway, but Duke does, you know, they're not going to let it kind of go that easily. So UConn is kind of nursing their five or six point lead for a few minutes until Duke kind of makes a run. Eventually, uh, Carowell ties it up at 66 with 446 to play, 13th tie of the game. So, I mean, just kind of what we're looking at here. Then uh, El Amin gets back into the into the action. He scores. Langdon, two free throws. Hamilton, two free throws. And then Rip hits a three. So 
Yeah, there we go. He rip, rip, rips cooking again. He's uh, now UConn's up 73-68, about three and a half minutes left. And um, now this is the point where it's like, okay, UConn has got this game won if they can make a couple more stops. Three and a half minutes is not a lot of time. But Duke... Yeah, Duke especially after Rip gets that, that three to go up five. I mean, you look at the bench. I think Juan is going crazy on the bench, and you're like, we, we can really do this right now. Yeah, so, but, you know, at Duke wasn't going to quite let him off the hook that easily. Uh, Carowell hits uh, one of two free throws, next possession down. And then Langdon finally, after just bricking, you know, shot after shot after shot, finally hits a three, one-point game, 140 to play. So now here we go. Khaled Elamine drives drives to the basket for two, 75-72. Little did we know it, that's all they needed, but we didn't know that at the time. Avery, two for two on the other way, one-point game, 54 seconds left. Then Duke then Duke eventually, as you, as you well know, they get a shot with a chance to take the lead with the shot clock off. And what happens? Ricky Moore forces Langdon to travel. I mean, you got a chance to win this or lose this, and that you're just watching, like, wh- which way is this going to go? I mean, I don't know, what... <laughs> What were what were you thinking? Were you like, oh god, are we we about to get our hearts ripped out again? I mean, pretty much. Uh, so you kind of have the ball with, I think about thirty four seconds left. Jim Cohen calls a timeout, and you're like, we can just you know run this down. Hopefully, uh, get it to a three point lead, and Alameen kind of forces that that jump shot, and it's an air ball. Carwell is able to secure the rebound as they're coming down. I mean, your heart is in your throat at this point. You're like, oh, we. We had this game won. We could have iced it, and now they have the chance to take the lead and to steal this game. Um, I mean, you're on pins and needles at this point. Everything is at stake here. And I think, you know, Ricky Moore is one of the best defenders. I think Alan Iverson described him as he's the only guy who's quick enough to guard him. So um, Trajan Langman going one-on-one against Ricky Moore, it it was just a mistake. Uh, Coach K, I think he was just a victim at that time of, you know, wanting Langdon to have that all-time moment, you know, take it to the basket. Uh, but that's not his game, right? He, during the entire game, he was a face-up shooter, hitting down threes, um, but driving's not his game. And Ricky Moore knew that. Um, and he was just able to lock down and force him to travel. At the point that Langdon travels, I mean, you're just ecstatic. I remember when that happened, I think I was on the floor um, next to my golden retriever at the time, and I just jumped up and down on him. This poor, this poor dog. I just jumped all over him. <laughs> but it was just such a awesome moment, and just how ecstatic Ricky Moore was, and just the def- defensive intensity that they showed in the shot when he comes off the court after forcing that uh, travel. Uh, just. Just amazing all around. You know what I, I when I was watching that, it actually reminded me a little bit of uh, the end of Super Bowl Forty Nine, uh, the uh, Patriots Seahawks game. So uh, you know, in that moment when uh, El Amin misses the shot and the Duke has a chance to you know take the lead, you know, and you're thinking at that point, geez, like should we call timeout? Like what, what's going to happen? And I, I thought it was very impressive that uh, you know nobody nobody tried to stop the game. They they just let it run. They just let it run because. Um, you know, in this in this case, it was basically just like UConn's like, all right, like you know, we're gonna just just play this one out. Duke, I mean, you know, Coach K, he probably should have called a timeout. I don't really, you know, it's like you said. I guess he might must have just wanted to let Trajan have his moment or do try to take advantage. I don't know. I don't really know why why they didn't do that, but still, it's um, 
it was striking to me that they just let it they just let it go and um I thought that was it was kind of nice because you know at the end of these games they're just such a foul fest anyway it was like oh wow we're just gonna go for it right yeah that was it was such a nice fluidity throughout this game right and there's only the one after uh Langdon uh, travels there's only the one foul going down the end like you said usually in these close games you know there's usually a team trying to come back and it's just a foul fest until someone either you know takes the lead ties the game anything like that um but yeah just going down uh, i really thought that coach k you know throughout the broadcast they talked about coach k leading up to this game and throughout the tournament how he wanted to look uh through the eyes of his own players and that, you know, you want to look through the eyes of Trajan Langdon and his experience through this. I think he was just so attached to, to Langdon having his moment and having him be the one to step up. You know, this is just the perfect moment for him to, to win the national championship and then, you know, on a potential buzzer beater in his senior year, just what an iconic moment that would be. Um, but Ricky Moore, uh, there's no way that you're getting past Ricky Moore on a drive like that. Yeah, especially considering that you have the national player of the year who basically is unguardable. He doesn't need to even get the, the layup. All he needs to do is draw a foul. So, you know, <laughs> oh well. Duke uh, Duke will have to live with that one. So obviously when Langdon uh, travels, you know, they have to foul. Elamine knocks them both down. And I mean, gee, gee, I mean, how about that? Like, you, you gotta talk about pressure free throws, and you know that he he just made made them both, and uh, you know that was that. I mean, Duke got one more chance, but they didn't even really get a get a shot off. It just kind of uh, just kind of dribbled into like three defenders, kind of fell over, and everybody just started celebrating. So I mean, yeah, just just crazy finish, huh? It was yeah, and for Alameda, you know, he didn't have the greatest game, especially the first half, barely played. Second half, yet, you know, uh, some points leading up into the stretch, but down the stretch, he, he was really their go-to um, offensive player, you know, putting them up 75, 72, and then hitting these two free throws. Uh, and then they mentioned on the broadcast in the lead eight um, against Gonzaga, he also had a very uh, up-and-down game, pretty much atrocious game. I think they called it where it was 0 for 12 from the field, but in that game as well, um, he stepped up to hit the key free throws uh, to send them to the Final Four, and no different here. Yeah, ultimate pressure in terms of, you know, this this is the moment. You want to go up to three, um, and he stepped up, hit the two free throws. Langdon tries to come down. He falls over. He trips. Um, the famous quote from Jim Nance is, Langdon trips, and then you come down it. And then, yeah, pandemonium just ensues after that. Um, the celebrations were just amazing right after Right after Langdon uh, trips and then the buzzer sounds, you know, you have Alameen running over to the scores table, um, saying we shocked the world, you know, before the game, when they interviewed him, he told everyone that they were going to shock the world, so he immediately runs over to Jim Nance, Billy Packard, tells them that's exactly what we did. You have Ricky Moore going over to the crowd, um, saying they don't know. Um, Alameen is then running away from the cameraman after wanting to be in the camera shots. Um, and then one of the favorite moments that I have is Bosco. They kind of show a uh, slow motion video of him where he just kind of has his hands behind his head and he's just in disbelief. He's like, we won? We actually won? Um, so that's just one of my favorite moments as well. Yeah, just a, just a, yeah, I mean, it kind of just goes without saying. It's kind of one of the, the first and the greatest uh, peaks of the UConn basketball uh, program, really. 
So um, let's kind of move into the the. Well, I don't know what do you what, what should we call these? The segments, the uh, categories. I don't really want to call them the categories because that's what the rewatchables does. But what do you think? Yeah, let's call them the segments. We'll say the segments, and then I don't know. We'll come up with something more creative at some point down the road. Uh, if you have any ideas, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or something. So uh, first things first, what stands out upon the rewatch? Just uh, you know, in terms of things that maybe uh, you know you might not have noticed at first that kind of jump out now. Uh, one, one thing I have, uh, UConn drives to the hoop a lot in this game. That's like their that's pretty much their bread and butter offensively. Did you uh, did did that strike you at all? Oh yeah, I mean, they took it to Duke pretty much the entire Yeah, I mean, UConn had an identity, but it is funny just to watch this game. So when we did the um, the the, the uh, cardiac Kemba game the other day, you know, that game, I, I felt like, okay, well, it's like we're not quite into the three-point revolution yet, but this still feels like a modern basketball game. This 99 game, you can kind of feel the age because a lot of mid-range jump shots are kind of going up and up in the... You know, there isn't that much ball movement, at least on UConn's part. I mean, it felt like, you know, they they, they passed the ball plenty, obviously, but it's not like, you know, not like the Kemba and Shabazz teams where that thing was like flying around the perimeter a million times before somebody would eventually try to kick it inside. I mean, they were just they were just going for it. And that was uh, kind of refreshing. You know, you don't see that a lot as much anymore. Uh, whereas Duke, on the other hand, was a little bit more modern, like at least in the sense that they were hit, you know, going for a lot of threes. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, for UConn specifically, it, it's a lost arts offense that they, they had, especially Rick Hamilton running off the screens, the mid-range jump shot. That's a completely lost art in this day and age, especially in the NBA, um, where it's you know three-point or bust the majority of the time. But yeah, UConn's offense, they ran through Powell all mean down the stretch, but Rick Hamilton throughout the entire game consistently was running off screens, having Chris Carwell uh, chase him, um, and just hitting that mid-range jump shot. And then going at the Duke, they, they had a little bit, uh, their offense leading up into that point was really through Elton Brand and then also the three-point jump shot that they would like to hit in transition. Um, so a little bit different style there, but I think ultimately the pace of play um, and the style of play ended up favoring UConn. Absolutely. What stood out to you? So upon rewatch, I mean, I remembered it very well because um, I watched it you know, throughout my entire childhood so many times. Uh, but I think watching it recently, the thing that just stood out the most was just how many different people stepped up um, throughout the game. You have Ricky Moore stepping up early when they needed some offense. Uh, you have Colin Elmine at the end of the game, obviously. You have Kevin Freeman setting the tone with three tremendous blocks in the beginning of the game. Um, just how many different players that they had rotating in and out um, and just how they were able to keep Duke on their heels. And I think halfway through the second half, Billy Packard points out how Duke's so tired because they're just chasing UConn all over the court. Um, so that, that's what really just stands out to me, how much of a team effort it truly was. And I know Rick Hamilton gets you know, the accolades. He went the MVP uh, or the MOP of the tournament. Um, and, Deservedly so. He had 27 points in this game. High, high tally for the game. Uh, but just so many different people stepped up when they needed them to step up. They had the big step up, you know, rotating Bosco and Simon Juan and Edmund Saunders. 
um, to handle brands. Uh, Albert Morin had a few nice plays throughout the game. Uh, just so many different people stepped up. Uh, it was just a truly team effort. Absolutely. So um, I have one more thing that I noticed that, uh, and we can move on. Corey Maggette, I expected to play and to make more of an impact because, you know, you look at the roster, you're like, all right, well, let's see, here, who do I recognize? All right, well, obviously Shane Battier, obviously Elton Brand. Corey Maggette, oh, yeah, he was in the NBA. He was pretty good. And then, you know, he's, I don't know, he was in the game, did a few things, but, you know, nobody ever treated him like he was, like, one of their better players. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess that kind of stood out to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess he wasn't quite the guy he'd eventually be yet. Yeah, I think he, in the beginning of the game, uh, yeah, I think he had a few quick baskets, but then the rest of the game, he, he didn't really have much of an impact. After kind of the second half, it was all Brandon, Trajan Langdon, even Avery, Battier, Carowell, none of those guys really had much of an impact. And yeah, Corey Maggette, I think second half, uh, I honestly can't even remember a moment that he had in the second half, just a few moments in the first half. But yeah, like you said, he, uh, I think he went, that summer in the draft so definitely just the beginning of his career no absolutely um all right let's move on uh what would you say was your favorite sequence um you know in terms of just like the the part like the couple minute stretch where you just pull it up on youtube or look for it and just like oh yeah that was awesome i think it's the stretch in the second half where you kind of really i want to say pull away but they really start to impose their will um i think it's around you know some Somewhere north of the 12-minute mark, um, you know, Rip leads a fast break. Um, he hits a basket. Uh, I think it put him up two. And after that point, they never they never trailed again throughout the game. And then another few minutes later, Rip leads the break again, gets the ball out to Albert Morin on the wing. He drives for an and-one opportunity. And Saunders just kind of bear hugs Morin in that moment. And bench is going crazy. And you can just feel in that moment that, you know, we have a really good shot at winning this game. We're better than this team. Just that that sequence and that kind of little run um, where they had the, I want to say it decently, but they were consistently up two to six points for a decent stretch. Um, and Duke was really tiring. Um, this is one of my favorite moments to watch oh man absolutely yeah i think that's i think that's the the one i mean other than obviously the end i think that's sort of the big one i got a couple more so ricky moore obviously his just that his keying the run that really kind of got them going in the first half we talked about the saunders strip uh, on elton brand that uh that suleiman put back um i had one that stood out to me that's you know kind of an underrated thing there was a point in the first half where uh calhoun uh drew up a screen uh, basically designed to switch Elton Brand onto El Amin. And then El Amin goes and pulls a move on him and scores an easy, uh, you know, put put a, a, an easy jumper. Sound familiar? <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely remember that one. J- Jim Calhoun, he's been burning people with the same tricks for years, and they keep working. <laughs> he's just like, you know, it's like, oh, wow. So, so we're going to just pull a little screen to get the huge guy on our, our point guard, and then he's just going to just – juke him out of his shoes i mean works yeah, literally yes, uh, literally works every time <laughs> yeah jamie dixon definitely didn't learn uh, his lesson there i'd say oh geez i mean yeah obviously not um a couple more uh so we, we talked about rip's big uh his big thing uh voskull had a monster block on elton brand and then like you know after the play he just basically just shoves him straight to the floor the announcers are going crazy like oh that should be a foul and you know jake's just like what did i do i you, i heard i don't hear a whistle <laughs> yeah 
that play, play was awesome. That was really he, funny. He, like, he throws Brant to the floor, and then Billy Packer's like, how is this not a foul? There's a foul after the play. But yeah, they show the replay. I think he got a little bit of Brant, but it, it was mostly a clean block. But yeah, he's just the force of the block. takes Brant, who's how many pounds bigger than Voskel and just takes him right down to the floor. I mean, yeah, I love I love Jake Voskel. He's he's terrific. However, I mean, even he, I'm sure, would admit that that's a bit of a mismatch. Him and Elton Brand in 1999. But you know what? Who's got the championship ring? I guess. Exactly. Oh man, do you got anything else uh, for this? Um, I think we pretty much covered all the big moments, at least previously. Uh, you know, early on in the game, you have Alan Bean on the floor, getting ahead to rip. That's that's really a big one. Uh, you know, Ricky Moore, like you said, uh, hitting the threes. And this is overall, you know, picking up uh, his teammates when they needed some offense. Uh, and really just the lasting image for me is Elamine. It's very obvious, but Elamine hitting those two free throws at the end and the team on the bench, they pan over uh, and they're all just, you know, interlocked um, arms. And just like, you know, this is just such a team. Uh, they're so together. Uh, this is their moment. And then Trajan Langley comes down. He, he falls. It's just such an iconic image uh, in UConn history to, when Lyndon trips and Rashmel Jones picks up the ball. Um, just overall, so many great moments. It's hard to pick one in particular. You could pick out so many. Um, but yeah, o- overall, there is just an awesome, awesome game. Yeah. So uh, let's run through a couple of stats. So, um, well, from the, the box score, obviously uh, um, Rip Hamilton was the uh, game leader, obviously, at 27 points, seven rebounds, um, just an outstanding overall game. Uh, Ricky Moore, 13 points, eight rebounds, and, uh, the, you know, the big defensive stop to force the travel. Kevin Freeman, six points, eight rebounds, five offensive rebounds, and three blocks. Pretty good. Um, so for, for Duke, uh, Trajan Langdon, 25 points, um, Elton Brand finished with 15 and 13 rebounds. Uh, Will Avery had 11 points. Uh, nobody else really did a whole lot. You know, Battier was kind of quiet. Maggetti kind of, you know, kind of just there. Um, but here's a couple of, uh, team ones for you. Get ready for this. So, you know how I mentioned Trajan Langdon was you know, just absolutely cooking from three at the beginning. Yeah. So as a team, and this is mostly Trajan, but as a team, Duke started six for eleven from three point range as of early in the second half. So basically, the point where they're up by five or so, you know, like you know, with the sixteen minute mark, they went one for eight the rest of the way. Wow. That one for yeah, that, that, one, that one was probably the uh, the one at the end of the game, right? That put them down one that Langdon hit. Yep, you got it. Yeah, so I mean, they were just bricking them for a while, and you know, up until then, they they were that was like how they were winning. They were just hitting threes, and I mean, you know, threes are worth more than twos, and they were hitting more of them than UConn. So that's you know, once those shots start, stopped falling, it was kind of a a different thing. Um, offensive rebounds. I mentioned uh, Freeman. Uh, UConn led Duke uh, twelve to seven in offensive rebounds. So uh, Freeman had five. Rip had four. Um, I mean, and you're dealing with a team that has Elton Brand, so that's uh, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, Kevin Freeman especially. I remember he, I think it was in the first half, he had one tremendous offensive rebound where I believe he was holding off uh, Daddy at the time uh, with one arm, grabbed the rebound with, with his other arm, his right hand, uh, put the stick back. Uh, it, it was just such a tremendous play. 
um, to be able to box out uh, with one one arm and then be able to put it back with, with the other. Um, but yeah, Freeman really um, really padded his stats throughout this game. You know, it no one category really overwhelms, but he he really overall put numbers up in every single category throughout uh, throughout this box score yeah uh one thing notable with elton brand too he had 13 rebounds only two offensive rebounds i mean you know for the national player of the year i mean i felt like he was really underwhelming in this game like you know he, the numbers were fine but you know wasn't really not not the impact player that you think right yeah and i think calhoun uh, really had a great game plan throughout this game and they showed it right off the bat I think the first possession of the game, they get it down low to Elton Brand, uh, and Bosco's guarding them one-on-one, and then uh, Freeman comes over for the double team, and they did that pretty consistently throughout the game. It kept them pretty contained outside of a few times when it'd be Chris Carwell or others would drive and give a, a dish off to Brand, but they really contained him very well throughout this game. It was really just Langman that um, they had trouble with, uh, especially throughout the second half. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't really stop them all, but still, you know, pretty good overall effort. Uh, one more stat for you. This isn't a great one, but UConn only ten for eighteen from the free throw line. So, I mean, if they had made a couple more of those, it, maybe it's not that dramatic at the end. But obviously, Elamine hit the two when it counted, so it's kind of good enough, right? Yeah, I remember that was another thing that stood out a little bit in the back of my mind rewatching this game. Is they had so many opportunities. Uh, they hit free throws, and like you said, what was it, 10 for 18 um, from the free throw line. Um, and they have pretty decent free throw shooters. You know, Rick Hamilton's a good free throw shooter. Alameen was a good free throw shooter. I remember he missed two free throws at some point during the second half. Um, but when it counted, he hit the two that mattered the most. Um, but, yeah, overall, uh, could have stretched the lead at certain points by um, hitting some free throws uh, down the stretch. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, go into broadcast beefs. Do we have any broadcast beefs from this game, or did the announcers do all right? So I think, honestly, love this broadcast for the most part. I think Jim Nance had so many memorable quotes, especially uh, as a UConn fan, uh, when you go to Gamble or XL Center and they play, um, you know, the videos from the past. Yes, UConn's done it. Uh, just so many memorable quotes that I think he had. He only. The only beef that I have throughout this broadcast was Billy Packard. When any time uh, Trajan Langdon would touch the ball or shoot, um, he would call it, you know, this is patented uh, Trajan Langdon play. This is patented uh, Trajan Langdon free throw. It, it seemed like, you know, Trajan Langdon had so many patents that he should be on Shark Tank. It, it, was, <laughs> it, it was the only thing, the only beef that I have throughout the broadcast but i think overall they both uh, did a tremendous job well every it seems like duke always has that one guy that announcers just fall in love with right like before you know before langdon it would have been leitner and then you know after that you have like nolan smith who everybody loved even though he wasn't really that good um you know with jj well jj reddick is and was that good but still you know he was that guy for a while you know duke grayson allen he was kind of the more people started to hate that guy, well, but the announcers eventually turned on him, but he was like that for a little while too. Um, you know, I don't know. I kind of give Billy Packer a pass for that. I think it's just part of the Duke experience. Uh, but I agree. I thought that the broadcast was ter- terrific. Uh, Jim Nance was great. Um, Packer was energetic. Uh, Bonnie Bernstein uh, as, on, on the sideline reporting was good, I thought. Um, 
There was at one point there was a a promo for Craig Kilborn's The Late Late Show, which is kind of funny to see now. <laughs> yeah, and I remember I, I used to have this um, on VHS. We taped the game back back in the day, and just rewatching the different you know commercials uh, <laughs> that were on during this time. Um, I remember one of the shows that they kept um, you know previewing was the Species Show with. It's this like lady that comes down, and she's like an alien. It is just the creepiest and craziest thing. Uh, just a lot of interesting um, at that time. How uh, you know? I think they had late night, obviously, with David Letterman and that type of thing. But yeah, definitely some interesting uh, TV moments uh, that they were plugging. Jeez, yeah. Well, it's funny. The, the version of the broadcast I have access to doesn't have commercials. I can only imagine what the commercials that aired during that game would be like. Um, by the way, if anybody can hear uh, some chaos or some squeaking going on, uh, my, my two puppies are playing upstairs, so not sure if that's coming through on the audio. So I uh, apologize for that. Um, anyway, yeah, so let's, uh, I guess, kind of let's get ready to wrap this up. So, Jesse, who would you say is the top dog from this game? I think it's impossible not to give it to Rip Hamilton. Uh, I mean, he was the consistent force throughout the game. He was their main offensive force the entire entire way. He kept them uh, in the game from the beginning, uh, had so many key moments down the stretch uh, in the second half, uh, hit two big threes in the second half. But you can also make a case for so many other players, like I mentioned before, that stepped up throughout the game. But for me, as a UConn fan, Rip Hamilton was my favorite player growing up, uh, probably my favorite athlete of all time. Uh, so I would be reminiscent not to give it to Rip Hamilton uh, just for his impact um, in this game, in the tournament the season. Uh, he was two-time Biggies Player of the Year from uh, 98-99. Uh, he was the go-to player on this team. So it's hard for me not to give it to Rip Hamilton, but I, I could make a case for Ricky Moore beginning of the game, just the offense that he brought through LME down the stretch with all the big baskets, Kevin Freeman uh, with the stats that we talked about earlier. Um, so it was an overall team effort, but I have to give it to Rick Hamilton. I think that's probably the objectively correct answer, but I wrote down Ricky Moore, and I think it's just simply because there's no way they win this game without him. Because, you know, Ricky Moore is the one who, when Duke has got a lead early, he's the one who willed them back offensively. You know, when they needed that big stop in the biggest time, he was the one who stepped up and he got Langdon in the travel. I mean, you can't you can't overstate the impact he had in the game. He You know, he had finished, so 13 points, 8 rebounds. So, you know, making an impact there, too, against, again, a very good rebounding Duke team. Uh, you know, added a couple of assists and just, you know... He, he was he was a senior. He'd been working his way up to this point for so long, you know. He to to me like that's you win game you win championships because of players like Ricky Moore, and you know that's to me I kind of that was my takeaway from it. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point, especially you know going down the stretch, uh, leaning on his defense and his leadership to you know stop trading Langdon from the opportunity to take the lead in the last seconds. Um, and you mentioned the rebounding as well. Uh, that's also what stands out upon the rewatch of this game. There were so many moments uh, going down the stretch in the second half where Ricky Moore came up with the rebound and they were able to take some time off the clock, wind it down a little bit, um, slow down the tempo. Um, like you said, he was one of the captains of the 
the team. And, uh, yeah, overall great pick there. Yeah, I mean, you can make a, a case really for a lot of players on this on this roster in this game. Uh, and Ricky Moore is uh, a great choice as well. Good stuff. I love it. So, Jesse, thanks so much again for coming on, and thanks for all your insight. Uh, this was awesome. I had a blast, and uh, thanks so much to all of you guys for listening. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, obviously, you know, still some growing pains, you know, the, I don't, I'm not sure if you could tell, but in the first episode last week, we uh, had uh, some audio issues. Um, I had actually had to use my uh, emergency backup just because the first one came out unusable. So we're going to work our way through, um, but, you know, got the good microphone. Uh, we're going to keep uh, keep at it. And yeah, so next week we're going to have um, Tim Fontenot on, uh, the longtime Daily Campus correspondent, and uh, we're going to talk about the 2014 National Championship. So yeah, so anyway, uh, follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo, and uh, yeah, we'll catch you all next time.